0: Welcome to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. And you can find my movie reviews and interviews in the U.S. and abroad in print and online 24-7. And by the way, I am a Tomato Meter approved critic. But every Monday, you'll find me right here on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, AdrenalineRadio.com. Where we go behind the lens and below the line with writers, directors, cinematographers, editors, actors. Um, We cover the gamut in film, television, and even sometimes with music and books. We've got a couple authors who are going to be coming up on the show over the next few weeks, as a matter of fact, that I'm very excited about. Classic film fans will be even more excited uh, with the authors that we'll be having on. Uh, We're also gearing up. We may be in March now, but classic film fans, we're all looking forward to the the 10th, 10th TCM Classic Film Festival starts April 11th. And on April 8th, as is our annual tradition, I'm going to have some of the classic movie Maven gals back. And we're going to be talking the TCM Film Festival, and that'll be on April the 8th, I think. Let us look at the calendar to make sure. That is April the 8th. It is a show dedicated to a, a profile of what to expect at the TCM Classic Film Festival, April 11th through 14th in Hollywood. Very exciting. 10th anniversary. Looking forward to it. And I know all of my fellow TCM peeps out there and classic film fans are looking forward to it also. But while we look back at TCM in April, Right now, we're looking at what's at the filmmakers, the movers and shakers, and the up-and-comers who are out there today. Very excited about today's show. Heidi Human, documentarian of Behind the Bullet. Heidi, as you may remember, our regular listeners may remember, she was scheduled back in January and something happened and she got tied up. Could not uh, call in to us, but Heidi should be calling in today to talk about Behind the Bullet. Very excited. Steven Portland. His first film, uh, writer-director, called Something. It is a psychological horror thriller. And let me tell you, it's a slow burn, and there are some real jump-out-of-your-skin moments in this film with a twist in there that you will never see coming. I can't wait to talk to Stephen about the film. I've already watched it three times. Because I'm looking for clues as to this twist. And I don't, and I think I found one clue, but Stephen and I aren't going to talk about that today because I don't want to ruin it for any of you. But first, I had the ultimate thrill of talking to writer director Maya Gallus the other day about her documentary, The Heat, a kitchen revolution or evolution. It's, Revolution, R in parenthesis, and then evolution. So you can read it either way, revolution or or evolution. And she focuses on seven female chefs who are known throughout the industry in different uh, capacities, from different types of food, from different regions, including uh, a French Michelin star uh, chef. But we're so used to seeing and hearing about the antics of male chefs, famous male chefs in their kitchens, we don't hear much about female chefs. Now, about 10 years ago, 9, 10 years ago, Maya did a documentary on called Dish, Waitressing, and the Art of Service. If you haven't seen that doc, I can't encourage you enough to go find it and see it. So it makes this documentary on the heat on chefs a logical stepping stone for Maya. This is the, the food as we, as she interviews, and it's a very seamless ebb and flow within the documentary. And the, the big compliment, uh, complimenting it all is the food becomes a character. And I mean, John Tran is, is the cinematographer who shoots all the food. And I got to tell you, when you see this doc, which is on VOD, it's on digital, um, Eat before you watch it because you will be starving as you watch this documentary. But it was a thrill to sit down and talk to Maya about her inspiration, um, developing her through line, picking the chefs that she chose from these very eclectic um, set of uh, qualifications. And of course, you know, the interview process, the editing. Editing can make or break a film, especially a documentary. And it's a lot of times you don't find your through line within a documentary until you get into the editing bay. So we, talk, we discussed all of this and music and more. So this is a, a continuous piece. It's not chopped up with me interjecting. So take a listen to Maya Gallus talking with, in conversation with me about the heat, a kitchen revolution, evolution. And when Maya finishes, hopefully we will have Heidi Eumann calling in for us. Enjoy. This is a perfect film for you. After your waitressing in the art of service film, where yeah. do you go next? Obviously not down to busboys, but up to chefs. Yeah, yeah. When did you get the idea... To focus on chefs and then specifically these notable female chefs that don't get the attention that they deserve.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, really- The idea for uh, making uh, The Heat came from directly out of my making a film about waitresses, the film called Dish. And it was as a result of my research looking at women in the restaurant industry that led me to um, uh, discover that um, there were more women toiling in... The kitchens of restaurants that we weren't hearing about and of course the irony of that struck me that women had, uh, fought to get out of the kitchen as a symbol of domestic oppression and now women were actually having to fight to get recognition in the kitchen. So, uh, that was the original impetus. I I went on to make another film about women's roller derby and other films because the timing, um, the climate wasn't quite right for people to hear about uh, female chefs. It was just when people were starting to see a lot of uh, cooking shows and reality TV shows on television and um, when I when I circled back to it, um, it just preceded um, a lot of the um, feminist movements, the Me Too movements and Time's Up movements that were happening. So the Timing seemed to be right for people to hear about uh, about uh, female chefs.
0: How did you go about selecting the women that you focus on here?
1: What, what I um, there were a couple of factors in, in choosing the women. I wanted to look at a range of experience from grassroots to haute cuisine. So at the top, of course, there is uh, Anne Sophie Peak, the uh, French chef who. Mm-hmm. One of only a handful of women in the world with three Michelin stars or more. And and that was important to include someone who had ascended to such a level. But I also wanted to show what was the reality for most women, which is that most women don't necessarily have access to the financing. So um, they're going to have smaller restaurants. And so it really is a range from... The high end to the low end, there's a woman who actually doesn't have a kitchen. She hosts pop-ups out of her home, which yeah, is a trend around the world, culinary world, but it's also a reality for um, for many women. Another woman who has a mom and pop where she virtually raised her, her child, her baby, in the restaurant, and then in New York, there were some really interesting chefs. Anita Lowe is a, a, a very well-regarded um, chef who had been running Anissa for 17 years and and Amanda Cohen running Dirt Candy and um, in, in the case of choosing them they were both very vocal and articulate about the issues that women face in the industry and very outspoken and that was important for me to have people speak directly to the issues and, and Angela Hartnett um, in London was an important person to include because she uh, her protege she she was a protege the first female protege of Gordon Ramsay and and he was always um famous for being uh quite uh, hot tempered <laughs> in the kitchen so the fact that she actually went through that and and uh, had a great relationship with him and went on to open many restaurants and become a Michelin star chef um it was important again to show another woman who was um
0: breaking through the glass ceiling. Well, I think in Angela's case, the fact that she survived Gordon's well-known outburst and temper tantrums, yes. that's a testament in and of itself.
1: Yes, yes, very <laughs> much so. She would just keep her head down and keep
0: working. When did this really start taking shape with your through line and your development? Was it while you were doing your interviews and obtaining your footage? How did that take shape was it during shooting in the editing room because you you really have a beautiful ebb and flow
1: thank you well it really is a process and um and it's a several stage process so the first Stage is the research in which I start with a very simple premise, which in this case was the irony that how women were not being recognized for their work in restaurant kitchens. Then I started looking for people who had something to say about that, either directly as a spokesperson or who represented by virtue of who they were in their position, um, represented uh, an aspect of the experience. And um, then once I, I would shoot with them, that I'm continually. Once I start shooting, I'm continually asking myself privately, um, "What is this film really about? What is it really about? On the surface, it's about this, but what is the core emotional thing?" And I never really have an answer for that right away. So it's almost like I'm I have this kind of internal radar that I'm listening, and I'm listening on different levels to see what the um, potential emotional through line is of the film. And then when I got to the edit suite, I discussed a lot with my editor, who is a wonderful editor, David Cazala. He also edited the film about waitresses' Dish, and he also edited the film about women's roller derby, Derby Crazy Love. Mm-hmm. So we have um, a very good rhythm in terms of working on stories with multiple characters, and um, also important in terms of a style that I like to use is that the subjects of the film narrate the film themselves. There is no omniscient narrator. They are telling their own stories. So it really the bulk of the work at that point once the research and shooting has been done is in the edit suite in terms of really figuring out the ebb and flow as you say, and a way for the storytelling to feel organic and yet continually move and shift and and surprise and take you in new directions, and, and that's really um, a process of plotting out with cards on the board and constant discussion and refining and and um, more discussion. <laughs>
0: And I have to say David's editing is absolutely beautiful because you also have another element here the food itself mm-hmm. is a character mm-hmm. in this film as we watch it go from being lifted out of the fryer or being the decorative sauces being swirled on a plate and then the food plated and presented and the cam- I got to say the camera work is is, is stunning
1: Yes, and and so I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. So Dave Cazale, David Kozala, extraordinary editor, and John Tran, the cinematographer, also an extraordinary cinematographer, and especially um, I really loved the way that he works with uh, with Verite, with following the action, and mm-hmm. we talked a lot about about this because I wanted him to follow the rhythm of the action, the rhythm of these women within the kitchen, sometimes in very small, confined spaces. But I kept saying to him, but the food is really important. We need to see the beauty of the food they're preparing as well. So it was... um you know that's a tall order, <laughs> and of course he uh, he served it up beautifully. Excuse the <laughs> big metaphor, and and really the cinematography is gorgeous. And um, actually, John Tran has been nominated for um, a Canadian Screen Award, which is our equivalent of I guess the Emmys um, for cinematography. And the film has also been nominated for uh, a special award called the Donald Britton Award for Best Social Political Documentary, which is really a great honor. Uh, so crossing
0: my fingers (laughs) John's work it really is beautiful and something that he captures and that David and that you and David have so beautifully interwoven within this tapestry is the movement the hand movement and the care with which each of these women are preparing and plating food Mm -hmm. that really comes across the care it's it's as if they're cooking a special dinner for their family.
1: Yes, and I'm, I'm glad that you noticed that because as we were filming and I kept asking myself, what is this film about? I began to realize that it's about something very deep and emotional and intimate, that there's something about the preparation of food um, beyond the, you know, obvious. Um,
0: the mechanics. Beyond the yeah, mechanics, the, yeah. Beyond
1: you know people talk about food as love but there really is something about nurturing both nurturing other people and sometimes nurturing oneself in the preparation of food and there's something very very tactile and emotional about it and uh And it really represents for many people home, culture, identity. Um, Many people have a connection with the preparation of food in terms of family, mother, perhaps grandmother. And, of course, grandmothers were always uh, famously the ones who were teaching many of the great chefs of the world, both male and female. Um, And so I think there was this kind of um, subtext
0: throughout the film of that care and nurturing. Yeah, and then even in just the way each of them runs their kitchen. It's all, it's quiet. It's not the usual turmoil that we've seen portrayed in reality TV or Mm. that we have witnessed in restaurants when we go to them who who have the open kitchens. That's something that really struck me. Packed with people, narrow spaces, and yet Everybody is moving, they're flowing, it's it's just a beautiful synergy, and there's no screaming and yelling and pots falling and things getting slammed. <laughs>
1: there are some tempers, for sure, <laughs> but no screaming and yelling, and, and it is a fraught environment, and, um, and, and that actually, I think, was a, a really notable difference. Now, of course, granted, what we see on reality TV is heightened yes. and exaggerated, but nonetheless, When I was filming in the kitchens, I actually got nervous at first because I thought, oh, my God, they're all so quiet. (laughs) People are used to noisy, loud, screaming kitchens on television, and they're going to think this is so boring. Nobody's yelling and having a fit. But then as we kept looking at the footage, I thought, no, embrace this. This is beautiful. This is part of what makes the style of leadership different. It doesn't have to be about um, dominating and crushing someone. You can actually... Uh, own your leadership and your authority in the kitchen
0: but do it quietly and with respect. Oh, that was one of the most striking things because as I said, here in Los Angeles, I've gone to many restaurants where the kitchen is an open kitchen so you see what's going on and you hear what's going on and sometimes the cacophony coming from within the kitchen with the chef, the sous chef, people yelling and things happening in there, that even overrides the conversation levels of all the, the diners that are within the restaurant.
1: That's interesting. I wonder if some of that is for show because um, often with open kitchens, people tend to be on um, their best behavior because it is an open kitchen. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, as... Um as uh, 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 Ivy Knight, who was a former line cook who left the industry because she found it too, um, too exploitative and, and abusive, she, she says quite rightly that um, really, if anything's going to change, the tone of the kitchen is determined by the chef in mm-hmm. charge. That is the person full stop who is determining how the kitchen is going to be run and what the uh, general level of, um, of uh, respect if you like is going to be within that kitchen.
0: One of the interesting things that I noticed in all of these women that you profile here is egos are checked at the door they are not in the kitchens exhibiting an ego and the way their staff all react around them Mm-hmm. You can tell there is no ego here. And that I found particularly insightful, that you captured that.
1: I'm glad to hear that. I mean, you know, and it's an interesting question in terms of women and ego. I mean, there's no question that women are socialized differently than men in, in on a very binary level in terms of um, how we are supposed to take up our space or command a situation, and um, and women are not encouraged to display ego. And when women uh, do take on authority, if they're if a woman raises her voice or or um, has an outburst, as Victoria Blamey points out in the film, you know, you're supposed to be nicer, you're supposed to be softer, you're supposed to be sweeter. And and if you're not, then you're labeled as difficult um, or other um, much less pleasant words. And so th- there certainly are are a lot of, um, of uh, social and cultural uh, implications around the ways in which um, women are um, taught to lead and take up their space. Anita Lowe in the film says it was very difficult for her uh, as an early pioneer to learn how to lead because women are not really taught that women are taught to be nurturers and she said she found it quite painful at times and you can see in her kitchen at Anissa how quiet she is like this beautiful quietly humming machine
0: yeah I mean very very much so something that really brings this entire package together Maya is your underlying score Kier Brownstone's score Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And yes. it, it lilts, and it's got some very. It has qui- It's a very quiet score that really mirrors the quietness of the execution of work by each of these women.
1: Yes. Yes. He really. He really. Um, he really captured the tone of, um, of each place. And also, uh, the idea was in a way that each um, piece of music was a variation on a kind of a dance, whether it was a tango or a waltz or almost a lullaby in some cases, and and really just that sort of um, shifting mood. And it was also important uh, for me, and, and we discussed this a lot, to not overload it with music, Dang. to let the natural... Uh, sounds of the kitchen itself be part of the soundtrack so that um, not only so that you could feel what it was like, but also that you could possibly, as a viewer, project yourself into that space, into that particular moment, into that chef and her experience by being surrounded by the the sounds that are surrounding her.
0: Mm -hmm. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because your soundscape, is beautiful here with the ambient noises being interwoven with the score and it all be, it's a beautiful mix. So whoever did your sound to create this beautiful soundscape with the mix. Excellent job. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you. And that's just part of my exclusive interview and conversation with Maya Gallis talking about the heat a Kitchen Revolution, Evolution. Um, the full interview will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Uh, hopefully, uh, some t- by sometime tomorrow. But I can't recommend the documentary highly enough. It really is interesting watching each of the different women that Maya selected to profile uh, for the documentary. Um, some some of the one- the standout ones: Suzanne Barr, who uh, had, was running saturday 's dinette um, jamaican Canadian blend of foods, uh, of course Anita low uh, Asian and Asian foods and what was really interesting uh, is the fact that we actually got to see when Maya embarked on this documentary she had no clue that Suzanne Barr would be moving on to an, would be closing her restaurant and moving on to another restaurant. No clue that Anita Lowe would be closing her restaurant. So to see captured on film, because Anita Lowe built her reputation starting with her dumplings, and to actually see her cook the final dumpling, plate the final dumpling, um, very poignant, it's very beautiful, very poetic. And that is something that you don't expect to see, you don't expect a poetry uh, within a documentary, and that's something that Maya really excels at here, um, even more so than in Dish, Waitressing in the Art of Service. Um, uh, a really fun, fun uh, chef th- whose is profile is Charlotte Langley, who has created um, pop-up cuisine. She goes to homes, does pop-ups. Instead of going to pop-up storefronts, she goes to your home and does a pop-up restaurant for you. Um, so really interesting women, interesting foods, um, watching their movements, their methodologies, how their kitchens work. Um, it's definitely a documentary and who doesn't like food? Um, so I can't recommend this highly enough. The Heat, a kitchen revolution, revolution, um, Maya Gallus, and again, the the full interview uh, we'll have it in text form and all up on behindthelensonline.net. Hopefully, uh, no later than tomorrow. So, do we have our? Do we have no? Do we have our PSAs, Pam? Our pet project. We're going to go to take a little break right now, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, it's Olivia Munn with
1: my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance, reminding you that when you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique. Adopt Pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer Fighters stand up to cancer every day, and you can be part of this battle too.
0: Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more.
1: Together, we can save lives.
0: And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. Uh, where we are, we do go behind the lens and below the line with all the master craftsmen and artisan who bring you film, television, music, and books. Um, while we're waiting for Stephen Portland to call in, um, for those of you that may be watching on, um, we are streaming live on Facebook on the Adrenaline. Do- it's the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. Um, while I'm nothing. You don't need to watch to see me. We do have. I love to do tablescapes, um, particularly when Disney and Marvel are so generous with swag to uh, to decorate the table with. And for those of you that might be checking checking us out on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, you'll see some accoutrement here of what is of merchandise that's coming out for Captain Marvel. Of course Captain Marvel will be in theaters this Friday. I have one word because I'm embargoed until tomorrow. Electrifying. Um but you know Funko who does an amazing job with stuff and I'm just so excited because I have the ca- can the camera see can camera can see little goose? Goose the cat. Without a doubt my favorite character in the film. Um But Funko has done an amazing, amazing job. And when when all of you see Captain Marvel, you'll understand why Goose is my favorite. And that may be your favorite, too. And I have to give a big, big, big thank you to my colleague, Landon Johnson, who, they were out of Goose when I got my swag. And he very kindly traded with me because he felt I needed to have Goose. So, and of course... Action figures. Brie Larson now has her own Captain Marvel action figure. Um, so there are clothes for men, women, children. There is Captain Marvel jewelry out there. And of course, socks. The socks are actually pretty cool. Um, so the premiere is tonight. You'll be hearing more about Captain Marvel tomorrow after the 9 a.m. embargo lifts. Um, I will say, see it. Parents with little girls, take your daughters to see this film. It's been a long time coming, and it's something that they will thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy, I am sure. As will all of you. Um, there's some re- a lot of retro to it that parents will get and appreciate and laugh about. Uh, and I have to go pay money to see it again because I, I just so thoroughly enjoyed it. That, uh, as with most, most of, of the Marvel films, and especially the Disney films, I do and little indies that I love, I do go and pay money and see them in addition to a press screening. Um, very excited, just heard from, while we've been on the air, a filmmaker, writer, director, Ken Petrie. Ken was on the show three years ago with his enchanting short film, The Gift. About a young, a narrative, but it was about a young Elvis Presley and his first guitar. Ken has now jumped in and has a feature film. And The Enemy Within, World War II, has to do with Japanese internment. And he asked me, he said, will you look at the film? Can I come back on the show? Of course. So hopefully we'll be having Ken back on the show within the next uh, well, uh, probably within the next three weeks or so. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, okay. So we have, are the phones actually working, Pam? <laughs> um, because Heidi didn't call in for her 1115 mark. And we're waiting for Steve in Portland. Um, Pam's doing something with the phone back there. To see if there is an issue. And I see a little red light. Lighting. Is that Pam playing? Or. Oh you're playing with the phone. I'm waiting to hear. Okay. So they're fine. All right. That's fine. And now she just disappeared. I was going to go into another. Another clip, but I guess we aren't. I guess I'm going to to talk until she comes back. Uh, <laughs> uh, another film that's out there right now that you really need to put on your radars. It just opened on Friday and very limited release. Woman at War, uh, an absolutely outstanding film out of Iceland. From Benedict Erlingsson, he did his prior film of Horses and Men, was extremely well, critically acclaimed, also acclaimed by the public as well. Um, and now this new film, Woman at War, it focuses on a woman played by an incomparable uh, Icelandic actress, comedian, theater trained, Haldora, and I'm not even going to try pronouncing her name, Um because I will just totally screw it up. Uh, we did this. At, I moderated a Q&A with both of them on Friday night. And I was still not brave enough. To, uh, to pronounce her name. At the Q&A on Friday night. Um, very complex. But. She stars in the film as a woman. She is an activist. Um, out to protect the environment. By tackling the big corporations. And. We. She's also trying to adopt a child, a refugee child, and she presents a, a character that we see so often in real life: um, women that are faced with career, family. What do you do? And in the case of Haldora's character of Hala, um, it's not just a regular job she has. Even though she has a job as a choir director, um, her big issue is her activism for the environment, to preserve the environment, to keep corporations from destroying the environment. Um, Benedict, writer, director, Benedict is passionate about the environment, global warming, and he brings this to the forefront in Woman at War. It's shot on location in Iceland. It is absolutely stunning. Um, The lighting that you get in Iceland... It's a very beautiful light. It's not a, like a, It's not the kind of lighting you'll have natural lighting you'll have if you lens something in the United States, even within the United States. Uh, a new film is out, The Iron Orchard, lensed in West Texas. It is a light we're not used to seeing. Um, oh, I'm looking at this. Even Big Boss is up here now. We're trying to find out what's going on with the phones. Um, oh. Okay, Stephen is trying to call, and he keeps getting a busy signal. So he's trying to call. You know, Pam, let's go. Let's go to a break, and let's see what we can if we can figure something out here. We'll be right back.
1: A powerful threat calls for a greater response. Some battles must be faced together, and you can be part of this battle, too. Visit standuptokinstu.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Have you saved a life today? I took two flood victims to a shelter. I donated a day's pay to help a family that lost everything in a fire. Have you saved a life today? I teach a class in infant CPR. I donated a pint of blood. Have you saved a life today? But today, somebody saved mine. The American Red Cross. Together, we can save a life. Please call 1-800-HELP-NOW or visit redcross.org to offer your support.
2: Hi, this is Carl Edwards here for Red, the entertainment industry's voice for road
1: safety. You want to make a difference? It's simple. Be responsible. Plan ahead. Designate before you Celebrate. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Maybe you can drive my car. Yes, I'm gonna be a, star. a public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council.
0: Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! And that's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities.
1: There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
0: All right, we are back, and yes, we are having some kind of technical difficulties with the the phone lines here. Even Big Boss, Nick Federoff, is in on this working on it. But what we're going to try and do with Stephen, uh, hopefully his publicist has just seen the message that I just sent her, and we're going to see if we can get Stephen to call in on my cell phone, and we're going to kind of jury-rig this. Um this is what happens when you're doing live. Up oh, here we go. Is that you, Stephen? Hi there, yes. This is Stephen. Hi, Steven. Hi we're, we're doing, something's, something's wrong with the phone system, so we're doing a Mickey Mouse he- thing here today. <laughs> okay. So hopefully this will work. Pam, are you picking him up okay? You're not picking him up okay. Are you? I think, can you hear him? All right, well, oh, she doesn't have her headphones on. Well, I can hear you, and hopefully, and hopefully, can you hear it now, Pam? Okay, now she can hear. All right, she's going to try and and, uh, bump it up here in the studio while they figure out what is wrong with uh, the phone system. Well, I have to congratulate you, Stephen. You blew my mind. With something. Um, I I have to tell you, I was watching it. You have moments in there where I was jumping out of my skin. Great.
2: That's great to hear. That's what we're hoping for.
0: I mean, really, really incredible job. And, of course, your twist that we're not going to reveal, I didn't see that coming. That came out of nowhere. And to have Eric Roberts' character involved in that twist, that added a little bit of wry humor to it as well.
2: Yeah. I, he was supposed to be kind of a, a breath of breath of fresh air, um, if you see what I mean. So that <laughs> you've know, been in this stale environment for the whole film with these characters and then in breezes, uh, Eric Roberts at the end to, to sort of deliver his, his cameo. And um, so that was the intention, and, and yeah, hopefully it, it works.
0: Oh my, I think it works absolutely beautifully. You know, where did the idea for this film originate? It, it, we've seen things that are similar, but not quite like this. And then you chose to work with a baby.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it, the the way it all came to, came together was very very rapidly, and kind of last minute. I I've had other projects fall through. And I really just wanted to make something before the year was out. So I essentially it was a bit like if you if you want to cook something and you don't know what to make, you you open the fridge door and see what you have available, and then come up with a recipe that uses those things. And and that's kind of what I did with this. So I you know looking around this this house and seeing what we could use there, and and there was a baby I could call on and and various things like that. So it was kind of looking at. What the limits were and what we had available, and then crafting something from that. Um, so it was kind of bottom-up um, development, I suppose. Uh, but as far as where the the original kind of spark for the the overall idea, I I don't really know. To be honest, I think it just it just came, and and it was so fast that I don't I don't recall. It was something like two months between the first idea and us actually starting rolling. So. Um, Kind of a whirlwind,
0: really. That is definitely a whirlwind. Um, You know something that you very smartly do that I really appreciated because this is it's your first feature. It is a low a low budget, no budget. You are very contained in the one location within this house, and yet none of your shots, nothing that your DP, Christopher James Jordan nothing is repetitive or boring you're constantly finding new angles for the shots and the various scenes yeah. how challenging was and, that for you
2: well i think full credit to christopher on that i mean I, so bearing in mind he was working with an inexperienced director and and a very um short uh, space of time in which to make this you know he, he and he, he only had something like three lights i think to do this with so um that he could make this happen and and work with me and 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 get that kind of variety uh, and and a pretty you know its a, i think it looks great to be honest you know given the given that it is a no budget film I think he did a tremendous job and um yeah you know, i I started out with reams of pages of diagrams of of shot ideas <laughs> and I think on day one we realized that they just had to be thrown out because we didn't have the time to kind of go through to do that but we just worked on the flight and and he was great you know we we really work well together, and uh, I, I think he's, he's got a very bright future ahead of
0: him. Well, something that I noticed, and this had to have been present a real challenge for both of you, this house that you selected, windows, 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 sliding doors, yeah. um, that yeah. is a cinematographer's nightmare because of the reflect- the reflections that you get.
2: Yeah, and I remember it, 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 it did eat into, into our time a lot. Kind of working around that, but I spoke to Christopher about it, and he, and he said that, um, you know, given the character of the house, he would take that any day, you know, because the, the reflections, yeah, okay, it was a pain, and he had to work around it, but just to have the lines of the house and, and all those, those kind of the blackness at night to work with, uh, you know, he he loved that, and and I, and I agree as well. I mean, that was that was one of the things that when when I was going around thinking about it the huge black black um, canvases behind people that, that you could use to sort of conjure up this sense of unease. Um, it was definitely worth it, yeah, I and mean, a lovely house to shoot in.
0: Yeah, and then you add in another element, because this couple, they have this new newborn infant, and clearly very newborn, because neither one of them really knows what to do with a newborn infant. Yeah. Um and you add in this other element, a very key element of a video baby monitor. Yeah. And how did you go about that? Because we have imagery on the baby monitor. So, were you capped? Was this staged separately, then plugged into this monitor? Was it d- done in post? How did you work that? Because that was a neat little a neat little trick you had.
2: Um. Yeah. We just we just did it live um we just had someone in in the other room um we had a you know a few little tricks like we had to sit it in a um a bowl of ice to get the, the temperature to read correctly and things like that <laughs> but yeah we just we just did it practically in the in the uh in the moment with someone in the room just um doing what was necessary to, to get the, the screen to react Yeah.
0: You know- you have a wonderful cast here. You have a small cast, but it, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful cast, and it's led by Michael Gazin. Michael is wonderful. I yeah. really... He has this presence on screen that really stands out. It's the first thing I've seen him in. I'm very taken by his performance and by the presence and command that he has of the role and of the screen. So I'm curious how you went about casting and what led you to Michael and, of course, Jane Rowan. And then how do you get Eric Roberts on a film like this? (laughs) First-time filmmaker.
2: Well, so for for casting the two leads, it was very standard, you know, putting an advert on one of these online casting things. and, And then... Scrolling through, you, you get hundreds and hundreds of submissions. It's incredible, really. And so you, you know, you, you do a first pass. Then I invited some of them to send in a kind of a self-taped scene from the film, and then from that, I, I um, auditioned a, a smaller shortlist. And I did—I auditioned them in pairs. You know, uh, a woman and a man together, and picked a few from those and did one more round of auditions where I where I was looking specifically at the chemistry between the two. So they they both came through that, that process. So I, I met them in auditions, and um, they worked well together. And also, I got the sense that they were going to be flexible for the type of production it was. You know, they they were going to work with the fact that it was no budget. They weren't going to get a trailer or anything. And they were going to have to work fast and um, and be flexible. And, and both of them did that incredibly.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: as far as Eric goes, I mean, Eric is a, an incredible supporter of indie film. He's the most prolific actor I've. I've ever seen. Really, he's he's very open to things, and uh, I think I actually got in touch um, through his wife, and they were you know very very happy to help out. You don't get him for long because he's so busy, but he comes in and you know brightens up the set. Great, you know, great presence there, jokes, anecdotes, and gets the job done. And we had a great time.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned Eric is is a great supporter of indie film because he truly, truly is and you know and that's something that you know established actors like Eric you know there there are many that you won't see doing an indie film like this but then again more and more we are seeing a lot of the veterans stepping into the indie world because of the strength of the script the ingenuity and just to support it and you know and support first-time directors like you um what was the experience like for you working with a veteran like Eric?
2: Um, yeah, it, it was great. I mean, we we were so busy that it, we we didn't didn't really have time to kind of take it in, I suppose. But uh, I, um, I remember seeing how the rest of the cast would watch him and how he worked, and I remember seeing them kind of taking taking things on board because he came in like halfway through shooting, I think, and then I remember noticing. In the second half of our shoot, them taking some of the, the, the pointers from how he worked and 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 really kind of, I think they gained a little bit of confidence from from seeing him. So, um, and and he, I feel like he gives everyone a little bit of confidence, you know, just the way he he works with, he's not a he's not a prima donna or anything, you know. He will um, listen to the the crew and he'll he'll do as we do as we need and 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 really be a, a team player. So I think he, he really did um, inspire everyone a little bit, and I know it was just a it's a it's a very small part, just a, a cameo, but um, it was I think it was a, a really nice just experience to to have him be a part of it.
0: Now, how challenging was it for you and for your cast, for Michael and Jane in particular, because emotions vacillate so much within this film as we get heightened terror and heightened fear. And a lot of the film I'm sitting there waiting. It's like, Oh my God, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. So, and it's just the tension and fear is building, but I know you didn't shoot in order. So how challenging yeah. was that maintaining emotional continuity for you and the cast?
2: I, I, I think it must've been pretty tough for them, but they never once complained, and and they 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 just sort of took it in their stride. It was there's also there's also a kind of a, a make up element too, as well, because there's a progression to their appearance that that we we tried to convey as well. So we'd be jumping back and forth. I think it, it takes place over sort of three or four days. So we would we would label each each scene we were about to do based based on which day it was or which part of which day. And then they'd go and get made up for that particular time and into that costume. I think that might have helped, kind of get into the the mood of the character at that point. But um, but then I would basically just say, you know, this is where you are in the story, so away you go. And and they would very um, effectively just just jump into that mindset. Um, but it was, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's confusing and, and tough to to jump around like that. We didn't have a a script supervisor or anyone that was kind of helping us keep on track. We just kind of had to keep each other on track. Um So, yeah, it was it was messy, but it all, it all just worked. I guess it was just such a great little team.
0: <laughs> and then you had to take all of this and jump into the editing bay. And yeah. editing can make or break you. It can save you. It can tank you. What oh, yeah. was this editing process like for you with this film? Because just like with comedy... With horror, you have to build that tension. You have to build that wariness so that we are getting scared and building up to these, you know, frightening jump-out-of-your-skin moments.
2: Yeah, it's... um The edit for this was... It was a challenge because we, we didn't have a lot of coverage. You know, we didn't have the, the luxury of being able to do many, many takes and put many, many angles. So it was it was kind of a lot of it was you know, just, just trying to patch it together as, as best we could, um, while at the same time, you know, really trying to push this the story ahead. And and we're always very conscious of the fact that it's inherently gonna be a challenge to just try and keep people um keep people's attention in this same place for for such a long period.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: um we you know we, we had to work towards that. But um yeah, I mean first time editor um, and it was certainly a challenge, and took a little while. But uh, you know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, we've we've kind of come out of it with with the best we could based on 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 what we uh, what we managed to to get in that principal photography. It was a kind of a, a strange thing. You you had this whirlwind of activity at the beginning, where you know you, you just get whatever you can then, and then there's this lengthy period to unpack it and and try and. Um, Try and fix it and and get it to work together. Very kind of off balance in that respect. But yeah, I, it uh, you know it's, it's, there there are obviously uh, when I see it, I see all the, the mistakes and the, the problems we <laughs> have. But I think we think we uh, I think it was uh, as good as we can get it. Really.
0: Well, you know, something that I'm I'm curious about here. So often horror films, psychological horror films. They rely heavily on music. You do not rely heavily on music. What were your thoughts with the use of music, and then how did you go about selecting what you did use?
2: I think we went from the position of thinking how little we could get away with using and then building up from there so um, initially I was probably I was thinking you know can can we do this without music and just leave us in this silent house and then maybe we just need to bring in some more kind of um, atmospheric guttural rumblings at the right times to sort of put, a, put across certain emotions and then gradually it needed to add a bit more in to just make sure we were in the right place emotionally but at no point did we really think we would have it fully scored you know like a uh, a, a major film it was it was always going to be quite minimalist mm-hmm. um and I maybe it's you know it maybe it's a little too minimalist in some places because there there are st- stretches where there's no music for quite a long time, and when the music comes in it it's almost like oh yeah, I forgot that there was music in the film but um but yeah it's 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 functional i think more than anything
0: i mean, I like the fact that you have long stretches with no music because. It also gives the audience a chance to, you know, just we're waiting with bated breath. And it's like there's no music that's leading us. You know, what is something going to happen? Is something going to jump out of a closet? You know, what is going to happen? You have one very key scene in there early on when all of a sudden Michael goes into the baby's room and he walks out holding a knife in his hand. And it was the same knife that Jane had been chopping vegetables with. Uh, and there's no music in the in those moments, so it's it almost. And I think
2: there's a, there's a tiny bit, but yeah, the idea is that we don't. We want we wanted people to to realize fairly early on that then nothing's going to be too heavily signposted.
1: In mm-hmm. this.
2: Um, because I think it's a, it's it's so sort of one of the things with this film that's kind of it's either a good thing or a bad thing, but but you're required to sort of lean in a little bit and, and participate and put yourself in the. In the in the same space as the as the characters, and that's one of the ways I think we did it was by by making people realise that we're not going to point everything out so so blatantly with a, with a burst of music before something happens, um, and or or, or very clear cut. And of course,
0: and it also works very well because of the fact they're emphasising, be quiet, be quiet. The baby's trying to sleep. I just got the baby to sleep. Yeah. Don't wake the baby up. So, you know, you follow, we're following right along with that, don't wake the baby up, um, and really getting into that, that mindset as well. And I I think that's very effective here. I really think that you played it smartly. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so now, you know, you've come through this journey you've been out there on the festival circuit you've won all kinds of really great awards from some good festivals the something wicked festival film festival i think is a great fest and it's a great one for you to be in with this film um and but you've picked up so much stuff so how have the audiences been reacting when when you've gone to the festivals and they've seen this
2: yeah, the the, um, the reaction's always been really positive. I think I think uh, the kind it's a setting that really works well because it's a film that um, it require it, it, well, it doesn't require, but it, it it benefits from a certain amount of unpacking afterwards. So if you're in a group with people where they can all kind of share what they experienced and what they saw and and kind of put it together after the film, then it it brings out another dimension. Um, and and that's something you can get from a from a film festival if there's a Q and A or if there's a, just a group of people that can speak about it afterwards and do a little bit of a, a post mortem. it's a, I think it's a it's a great way to experience the film. So yeah, we've had a we've had a very positive um, reaction at the festivals. It's been, it's been great fun.
0: And of course, now it is out in limited release, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. And it should be on VOD tomorrow. Everything
0: goes planned. Oh, hopefully it will it'll be better than our phone system here at the station today and it will <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone will be able to uh to watch the film. So now that you've come this far, your first film, what have you learned about yourself and taken from this process that you can now use in your next film?
2: Um I, I guess it's uh, it's mostly about confidence that you know because it's it's a marathon to to make a film and when you are when you've taken that first stage stage of of making it and you realise how far ahead you you do question whether you're going to be able to to manage it. Um, so getting to the end of it and and getting it to release, it's a, you know it's 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 a relief that you know that uh, that you can make it that far. So I think that there's a there's a an element of that I've kind of—I feel like I've proved I can do that now. Um, and although I wouldn't necessarily want to do such a micro-budget film again because of the just the, the, <laughs> the huge of, amount of, of stuff that needs to be done, you know, I, I would—I'd I, like to, to do some more things. I think—I think, I think um, low budget is probably where I would, would, would see myself in future because it's—I I tell say I really enjoyed the kind of the freedom. And the lack of pressure and not needing to answer to various tiers people. So, I, you know, I, I think I've learned that, that that's probably my, you know, my uh, the area I'm most most comfortable comfortable in. Um, but yeah, but aside from that, I, it's just a huge amount of, of practical skills from from every level. Um, just having having to be involved in every aspect. It's a it's a crash course throughout the entire. Um, process
0: did did you ever have i'm I'm curious did you ever have any difficulties in switching hats you know going from writer to director were you precious with the words Uh, you know you're looking at editing "Ah, i really like that shot i don't want to cut it did you have trouble (laughs) taking the hats on and off uh not
2: not really um i mean i remember that when we were shooting regarding the preciousness of the words it was there were certain parts that i was clear on because they had specific meaning but aside from that i was you know i was i wanted to, them to make words their own a, a certain amount so i was okay with that and um and then further online just because i had so much control because there wasn't you know there, there weren't there wasn't a committee working with it uh, i didn't really need to change hat that much i could sort of just keep the same one on throughout so um yeah, I do i I I feel like I've been pretty responsive to, to uh areas where I realised that things didn't work and and had to chop stuff out or whatever. But yeah, I, I think um I think I think it it, it was okay. Yeah. I, I I found it fairly seamless to go between the different roles.
0: Well, all I can say is job well done, Stephen. Um Thank you very much uh, so and
2: congratulate it. That's
0: and as I promised, Kim, yes, I'm going to write a review for you. <laughs> you know, and you got you have a great publicist there with Kim Dixon. Let me tell you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, for a film this tiny to to sort of start getting attention like this, it's um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. So yeah, hopefully we'll we'll start to build a bit of word of mouth and we'll reach the audience that we want. I mean, not every it's not a film for everyone, but if we can find our way to the people that.
0: I I just want to hear, after people see it, I want to hear what they think of the twist in this film, because I just, I fell in love with the twist. You shocked me with it, and I loved it. Okay. Oh, Stephen, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back on the show again, and next time, hopefully, all the phones will actually work.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me on, and yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to keep in touch. Oh,
0: wonderful! Thank you again, Stephen, so much. Thanks, thanks again for having me. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Stephen Portland, writer director of something. It is on VOD tomorrow. It is in limited release in theaters right now. He is a new voice in the horror genre. And I think it's a voice we're going to be hearing a lot more of. Well, that is all the time we have today. I apologize for whatever the phone company did with the phone. So the phones are not ringing so that we had technical glitches today. Um, But I think we overcame them. Hopefully we did. Um, So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.